You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40. I want to preach part two of a sermon series that I've entitled, Our Lord's Triumph. Our Lord's Triumph. And this particular sermon I've entitled, Interrogation. Interrogation. What is truth? To some... To say that there really is such a thing as the truth is bigoted. How can one claim to know the truth? To some, truth is whatever the majority of people agree on. To others, truth is whatever helps them advance their agenda. And some say that truth is, and I think this is probably the most popular in our culture, but that truth is sincerity or authenticity. You'll hear it said like this, it's about being true to yourself. And they usually follow that up with this, provided that you are kind to everyone. And I find that last provision very interesting. Because that seems to be an objective truth that everybody must abide by. Be true to yourself provided that you're kind to others. What if someone sincerely wants to be unkind to you? When there is no objective truth, there is no objective basis for meaning while you're here, and what you're supposed to do, and there's no objective basis for morality. What is truly right or wrong, or is it personal opinion or collective opinion? According to today's Bible passage, singularly tied to the question of what is truth is the identity of Jesus himself. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The enemies of Jesus were very eager to execute him. They had spent the night examining and condemning Jesus. And when the morning came, they led Jesus away to Pilate, the governor at the time, so that Pilate might sentence Jesus to death. To their surprise, Pilate interrogates them, Jesus' accusers, and then he goes into a back room to privately interrogate Jesus. And this whole interrogation scene has been written by John, a disciple of Jesus, the author of the gospel, in hopes of interrogating you and me. He wants to question us about, well, who do you believe Jesus is? Let's read John chapter 18, verses 28 through 32. It says, Then they, and that's in reference to the chief priest, the Sanhedrin, those who accused Jesus falsely. 
They led Jesus from Caiaphas, that's the high priest, to the governor's, Pilate's headquarters. It was early morning. Now notice what they did. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. I'll describe that more in just a minute. All you need to know at this time is the Passover is a Jewish festival that essentially uh, recognizes the Jewish people's freedom from slavery in Egypt. And if you go back to the book of Exodus where they exit Egypt, you find that the way God provided for them uh, release from slavery is that he sent a plague of death upon all the firstborn children of the land, including Israelites and Egyptians. And the only way death or judgment would pass over you is if you took the blood of a spotless lamb and applied it to the doorpost. Remember this story? And if that blood was applied to your home, death and judgment would pass over the firstborn. And so all the firstborn of Egypt were killed, but God saved all the firstborn of Israel, and they were set free into the wilderness to go to the promised land. And so Passover celebrates their freedom. Just remember that. Now let's keep moving in the text. Verse 29. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Now, in case you don't know, complicit in this, the Jewish Sanhedrin had already asked Pilate for Roman soldiers. And Roman soldiers were a part of the arrest with Jewish officials in the garden. So he, he already had some idea that Jesus was coming to him. And so he's poking and prodding them politically. What are you doing bringing him to me? And then they said, if, well, if he's not a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him. It's all staged. And then notice what verse uh, 31 says. Pilate told them, you take him and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. And they said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Very interesting. Let me break this down. This is scene one of the interrogation, and we're going to call it the charge. What's the charge? Jesus' enemies, back in the last night, okay, before this morning scene, tried to find witnesses to charge Jesus with something. They wanted Jesus dead. They're looking for anything that will stick. But no witnesses come forward to say anything about Jesus. He is blameless. And so, these Sanhedrin and chief priests, they bribed false witnesses. But all that broke down when all the false witnesses' testimonies differed from one another. So at the end of the night, they just go in the morning and they tell Pilate, in effect, trust us, he's an evildoer. He's a criminal. He's got to die. Now, I want you to think about something. These are the leading religious leaders of the nation of Israel at that time. Folks, beware of false religion. Religion that consists of an outer form but does not affect the heart. The men that falsely accused Jesus of wrongdoing were very religious people. They would know the Bible better than most of us. 
And think about how religious they were. They would not go into Pilate's headquarters. Pilate was a Gentile. He was an outsider to the Jewish faith. And they believed to enter into the Gentiles' headquarter would defile themselves religiously and they wouldn't be able to participate in the ceremony and festivities of Passover. So think about all the religious garb they they have on. And yet, these same people were not afraid to stain their hands with the blood of Jesus. Very religious but had no love for Jesus. They were hypocrites. Listen, religion without Jesus is deadly. It's deadly. He has to occupy the center of our affections and our faith. If not, we'll become lethal to our own spiritual lives and the lives of others. So what about the charge? What are they going to charge Jesus with? Now I want you to think about it. Jesus fed the hungry. He healed the lepers with His touch. He cast out demons. He raised up paralytics. He gave sight to the blind. He opened deaf ears. He did not preach for selfish gain. For which good work were they going to crucify Him? For which of His generous words would they fasten His hands and feet to the cross. The point is this. They will find no charge. They will call Him blameless. They will say He is without fault, but they will kill and murder Him anyways. But I want you to read this passage for just a moment in light of what we happen to know. In light of history, in light of doctrine, I want you to think about this given the teaching, the Christian teaching of a word called imputation. Imputation. Imputation is when our sins, you and I are sinners, we have all done wrong, we are all doers of evil, we are all criminals, breakers of God's law. And all of our sins, they're imputed or given, or credited to Jesus so that Jesus might die for us, for our benefit. I want you to think that for just a moment that when they did look at Jesus, He was the greatest sinner because our sins were laid on Him. Do you see that? What fault do they find in Jesus? You and I. We're the ones at fault. In Jesus, there was no sin. He was altogether perfect and holy, but He became sin for us. He stood there among the Jews and the Gentiles, covered in all of humanity's sins. And when He hung on the cross, God looked upon Jesus and He saw our sin on Him and He satisfied God's judgment against us. Amen? Jesus' death was for our benefit. But I want you to notice this. It was planned long ago in eternity past and prophesied to us. Can we read verse 32 again? Look at it. It says this. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled indicating what kind of death He was going to die. Had the Jews put Jesus to death and not Pilate, it would have probably been by stoning 
That's very popular among the Jews at that time. That was their method of execution. But then, if they stoned Jesus, none of the prophecies about Jesus would have been fulfilled. He would have been a false Messiah, a false Christ. Jesus, from the foundation of the world, in God's mind, was ordained to be crucified. And let me prove this to you. Crucifixion fulfills several prophecies. Write this down. Psalm 3420. Psalm 3420. It says this. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. All right, this is a messianic prophecy that the Messiah's bones in his death, he would not be, have broken bones. If he is stoned, more than likely, his bones would be broken. Not a single bone in Jesus' body was broken when he was crucified. The second one is this. It's in Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10. It says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David, that's the Jews, and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. Did you notice this? Piercing would occur. This happens with the crucifixion when they pierced his hands and his feet. And his side. Can I just read Zechariah 13, 1, the start of the next chapter? It just makes me happy. Listen to this. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. That's what was going on. When Jesus was pierced and his blood flowed, it began to wash away sin. The third thing, in Numbers 21, 8, Jesus used Numbers 21.8 to typify, he prophesied earlier, the kind of death that he would experience. It says this in Numbers 21.8, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When everyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. This is an Old Testament story. But Jesus talks about in John chapter 3 how the Son of Man, his favorite nickname or self-designation, would be lifted up just like that snake on that pole was and everybody was saved who looked at it. Jesus said, I'll be lifted up, not stoned down. And so on his crucifixion, you need to understand this, this crucifixion is his most glorious hour of triumph. He's lifted up for you. And then lastly, and Paul talks about this in his letter to the Galatians, it's from Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. Listen to what the law of Moses says. If anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed, and so he points it, he's put to death, and then here's what follows. And you hang his body on a tree. You are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but you are to bury him that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Notice what it says. When you post up somebody on a tree for everybody to see, it shows the people of Israel that man is under God's curse. Now, ladies and gentlemen, just think about it a minute. Why is Jesus, the perfect, spotless Son of God, 
under God's curse. It's for only one reason. You can read this in the book of Galatians. Jesus was taking our curse on the cross. He is reversing the curse, literally, on the cross for you and me. Jesus had to die by crucifixion. And so little do they know, and they take full responsibility in the death of Jesus. You'll see it later, but I want you to know this. God's sovereign hand is working through all the details to weave together and accomplish the plan of your salvation. It was all in His hands the whole time. Look at scene number two. We're going to look at the claim. Let's read John 18, verse 33. Now remember, Pilate's going to take Jesus and go into the back room. The Jews are outside. Remember, they won't come in. So what it says here, verse 32, Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? All right? Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? Just pause a minute. Just notice the courage of Jesus. Like, I'm going to interrogate you. Are you asking me this, or has somebody told you this? And then look at verse 35. I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? Verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And then notice Pilate's response. You're a king then, Pilate asked. A couple of things to notice. Our Lord interrogated Pilate. He wanted to hear from Pilate's own lips if he himself, Pilate, had seen any sign of sedition or rebellion against Rome, who Pilate represents Rome, and any charge that should be brought against him that should force him to be executed. He wanted him to say, do you find fault with me? He's going to put the question to him. I want you to hold on to that. Thought, do you find fault with me? Now notice what Jesus claims to be. We told you this earlier. We're saying that what is truth is tied to who is Jesus. That's what the Bible says. If you want to know truth, you've got to know Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? The first thing you can write down is this. He is the king. He is the king. Jesus explained what he meant by being a king. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. When he fed the multitudes, this is important, this happens earlier in the book of John. Remember when he feeds like 5,000 people at one time? They were so excited, they wanted to make him the king of Israel that day. They were hoisting him up, going, let's make Jesus king. Does anybody remember what he did? He hid himself. No, 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 no. That's not the kingdom that I'm after. Think about this. When they go to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off one of the arresting officer's ear. What does Jesus say? Put your sword away, Peter, and then heals Malchus' ear. This is not a kind of kingdom that you and I are used to. When you're trying to start a revolution, 
to overthrow a government, it is bloody violence, right? That's not what Jesus does. Jesus preached peace, not treason. Jesus' example was submission, not rebellion. Jesus came to serve, not become a turbulent political leader. And here's what we find, and I'm so glad of this. Jesus does not need any worldly power to establish His kingdom. I don't need you. I don't need violence. I don't need the government to establish my kingdom. Jesus rules and reigns in the heart. That's where it begins. He wants to rule and reign over you individually in your heart, over your whole personality. It is His Holy Spirit ruling over your spirit. It is His mind ruling over our mind. And this does not happen by some political revolution and forcing us to become something. It happens by spiritual regeneration. When God qualifies us and transfers us out of our sin and the domain of darkness into His beloved Son's kingdom, it is a supernatural act that God does in our hearts. And He saves us and changes us and makes us a part of His kingdom. Do you want to know whether you're in His kingdom or not? I'll make it real simple to you. Do you submit your thoughts your attitudes, your affections, your words, your actions, your behaviors, your habits, your life to Jesus' teaching. Yes or no? Does His rule, does His law reign over you? Isn't it so subversive that Jesus can change people's lives and then undermine the political systems of the world? I don't need this, is what he's saying. I'm not that kind of king. Now please understand, the Bible goes on to say, there's coming a day when King Jesus will return and establish an earthly kingdom. But he will not do that with giving you the opportunity to be a part of it. He will destroy you. This is the age of grace in which we can receive the kingdom in our hearts and gladly bend our knee to the Son of God. I like what Napoleon Bonaparte said. He said, I founded an empire by force, and it has melted away. Jesus established His kingdom by love, and it stands to this day. That's exactly through love and grace is how Jesus advances His kingdom. What a wonderful thing. Pilate had no idea of a king like that. What kind of king is that? The second one, let's read verse 37. So you're a king then. And it's kind of like, yeah, that is what he says. You say that I'm a king. You're kind of right. Not the king you're thinking of. Jesus replied, I was born for this. And I have come into the world for this. To testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In verse 38, what is truth, said Pilate. Now this is amazing. <laughs> Jesus says here, He is the truth. He is the truth. If you need it more explicit, you can turn back to John 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
If you want to know what really is real and what really matters, you've got to come sit at the feet of Jesus. Now listen to this. There are countless things that you may never know. Think about this. Think about all the facts in the universe that you could possibly know. And you may not know the, the vast majority of them, and not knowing them will never affect you. Right? I'm terrible at math. Terrible. Thank God so far it hasn't really crushed me, right? <laughs> but when Jesus talks about the truth, to testify to the truth, he is talking about what is really real, what really matters, what is of infinite importance. If you don't know the truth according to Jesus, you will perish. This is the one thing you can't get wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the truth above all truths. It's the truth of truths. It's the king of truths. For Jesus, truth is not just a claim, maybe corresponding to what the way things really are. For Jesus, truth is knowing God. That's what he's always going to talk about in the book of John. Truth is getting to know God. And that's not just an academic exercise. It's not just Bible trivia. Jesus wants you to know God in such a fashion that you have a spiritual link with Him. Jesus is who links you to God. And then following Jesus means you're actually doing God's will according to God's Word. It is integrating the truth of God into your own life through Jesus and his teaching, and his life. Just imagine for a moment, does this not just excite you? Here's the whole point. There is a God. There is a God. He is real. And I can lead you to him. That's what Jesus is saying. I can give you the truth. I can give you a relationship with him. I can, I can show you how to live life on his terms. Would you not want to know that? <laughs> Would you not want to know that? And that's why, why he says, anybody who's of the truth, they listen to me. They stop. They've got to go, what is he saying? Because I'm the link. I'm the one that sets it right for you and God. Notice that Jesus' kingdom consists in witnessing or testifying to this truth. I love this. Christ is a teacher so he could be king. He's a teacher so he could be king. Jesus rules by the force of truth over our hearts. And we willingly surrender and submit ourselves to His Word and are governed by His will. Jesus is the truth that your soul longs for. It's what you're made for. Pilate quips, what is the truth? Pilate was never closer to the truth than he was at that time moment. Pilate, you're standing in front of everything that ever matters and he literally some people don't know how to read his tone is he being sarcastic? Is he being serious? But either way I want you to notice this he turned his back on the truth what's the truth and he walked back out now I want to tell you this with gentleness and respect you are facing the same decision today when Jesus Christ is preached and made much of he is here and present with you. The truth is standing in front of you. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you just going to throw your hands in the air and walk away? Notice what 
Pilate goes on to do verse, the rest of verse 38. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. Now, they had to be shocked. I mean, essentially, think about it. He was complicit in his arrest and then walks back out and goes, I don't see it. 39, you have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now he's mocking them then. You want me, you want me to give you your king back? Verse 40, by this time the, the Sanhedrin and priests had gotten all the people in a, just a, a mess. And they shouted back, not this man but Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And now Barabbas was a revolutionary. He was the very thing that they were claiming Jesus was. Very interesting. Here's the third thing I want you to see. And, and, and from a Jewish perspective, it's, it's, it's all here. Third thing, he is the lamb. It's not by accident that this is all happening. This is sandwiched between Passover, remember? Hey, we can't go in there. We won't defile ourselves for Passover. And then the Romans had a custom for the Jews that on Passover, they would release a prisoner, release a captive, right? Remember the, the, the story? What were the Israelites in Egypt? In slavery. God sets them free. So the Romans, as the oppressors, kind of reenact it for them. I'll give you a criminal back. I'll give you a captive back. I'll, I'll, I'll play your Passover play. He's mocking them. Who do you want? It's Passover time. I'll give you back your king if you want him. The irony here, and this is what John is, just, it's a beautiful piece of literature. He's pointing all the ironies out in this interrogation. The chief priest persuaded the people to ask for the release of a man guilty of the very crime they wanted to accuse Jesus of. He's a revolutionary. He's going to overthrow the Jews. And then he's going to make a mess for Rome. And Pilate goes, I don't think he is. Give us Barabbas. You understand we caught him for sedition? We caught him because of treason and murder and robbery? He is the real deal. He is the sinner. He is the one you need to watch out for. And they're like, we want him. And so this great play passes out. Jesus then becomes the Passover lamb. He is killed so that who? A Barabbas, a true criminal, might be set free. Barabbas was a murderous terrorist. Jesus said, I'll take your place. We too are sinners. We're criminals who've broken God's law. And like Barabbas, we deserve to die. But Jesus says, I'll take your place. You're set free. Citizens are essential to a kingdom. A king is not a king if there's no one to govern. All of us should perish because of our sin, but our king, the truth, became the lamb, born to save, born to die, died to be raised, and raised for our forgiveness so we can be subjects of his kingdom. What a glorious passage. So what? In John 18, I want you to go back to this. Jesus asks a question in verse 34. I think that penetrates 
through Tom to interrogate us. Are you asking this of your own? Do you really want to know me? Are you going to use this second-hand information? You're going to use this passed-down tradition or religion? Do you want me? Pilate tried to pass the responsibility onto somebody else. Everyone has to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. Everyone in this whole play. The Jews, the Gentiles, the accusers. Everybody's having to decide, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do with this man? And it's the same for us. You have to make a decision about Jesus because of the claims that he, makes, that he said. Pilate tried to have everyone else decide for him. Did you notice that? You please take this responsibility off of me. I don't find any problem with them. What do you want to do? You're going to eventually see he has to make a choice. You'll see it in chapter 19. He's forced to the brink. You've got to say something, Pilate. You've got to do something. You can't keep forcing it off. Write it down. You have the choice. That's what's in front of you today. You have the choice. You've got to make a choice. Do you want Jesus as your king? Yes or no? Will you surrender and submit your life to King Jesus? Yes or no? Heaven or hell is before you. Death is right around the corner. For your soul's sake, don't trifle with Jesus. Give Him an answer at once. Do you find fault in Him? Do you find fault in Him? And I want to remind you, when Jesus returns, and He will, and He completes His kingdom on the earth and judges the living and the dead, every one of us will bow our knee and we'll say this, I find no fault in Him. There is no failure in His blood. The failure was my will. He never refused to hear my prayer. I defied His gospel. My blood is on my hands. We're all going to say that one day. The grace of God is giving us the opportunity to do it now. Say, I find no fault in Him, but I find fault in me. Is He your King? Is He your King? Again, there's coming a day when Jesus will sit on a great white throne of judgment and the multitudes, all of us, will tremble at the sight of His awful majesty. And I want you, you'll be there that day and you look over to your left and you'll see Pilate. You look over to your right and you'll see the chief priest and the Sanhedrin and you'll know what they'll be doing. They'll be bowing their knee and confessing Jesus is King. So you need to ask yourself now, does Jesus reign over me today? Am I anxious to put down anything that's false and wrong and to pick up whatever Jesus teaches and obey it? And then let's go further. Am I willing to witness to the truth and to spread its sway over the earth? Are you in the truth? Are you in the truth? Judge this day whether you're in the truth or not. If you love the truth, you will know and obey Jesus. He is calling you out of your sin and He wants to encourage you in the path of righteousness. By God's grace, all of us should be sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from Him.
And then is he your lamb? Is he your lamb? Jesus is a tender lamb. Think about it. He's king and he's the truth, but he's also a lamb. He's your savior. He will receive you right now if you come to him. If you will confess your sin and call out to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He will save you now. Jesus is the spotless Lamb, the King of kings, the very truth of God. He shed His precious blood and died for your sins and then was raised from the dead so that you might be forgiven and you have a spiritual link, a relationship with God now and forever. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.